Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans chapter 11. Today is Reformation Sunday, but it in a wonderful way aligned perfectly with where we are in Romans. And as we come to the end of this first section of Paul's letter to the Romans, we come to this beautiful doxology. See, for the Reformers, this was no political, fleshly battle over trifling things. This was no squabble over minute points of doctrine that were not worth dividing over. This was no small matter for them. This was a clear war about truth. The Roman Catholic Church in the 16th century was not just guilty of robbing the poor of their money, not just guilty of robbing the masses of the truth of God's word and his scripture and his gospel, Under the heavy heap of their traditions, the traditions of men, under the heavy heap of their religious councils and all the popes who so often contradicted one another, they were robbing people of the assurance of their salvation in Christ. And beneath this burden of self-righteousness and sacraments and indulgences and the merits of the saints and my own personal merits and my own personal standing for God, they were robbing the world of the truth of God's word and the truth of God's gospel. But more than that, they were robbing God. Robbing God of his very glory. And instead of giving glory to God alone, soli deo gloria, they were sharing God's glory with the church, with the papacy, with the saints, with Mary. More than that, they were robbing God of his glory and they were sharing his glory with themselves. Now, the elements of the gospel were still there. And every mass, every scripture, every prayer, the elements of the gospel were still there. Christ crucified, Christ buried, Christ raised again. But these truths were veiled and hidden in this cloud of uncertainty. Not to mention that the mass was in Latin and not in the language of the people, so that the average person didn't even bother to go to church because the priest could, and you've heard this said, say the Mass for them. And they didn't understand it anyway, so why bother? They said, yes, God in His grace saves through Christ, through the church, but in the end, who really knows? 
The gospel of the Roman Catholic Church is try hard, work hard, be faithful, fulfill the obligations, and with enough prayers, enough sacraments, enough saints, enough relics, and at that time enough money, maybe, just maybe it will all balance out for you on the day of judgment. That's after a thousand, a million, who knows how many years in purgatory. But no one can know for sure. No one can know if they're saved. And at that time, if you dared to say, I know that I'm saved, you would be accused of arrogance and probably burned as a heretic. And so the reformers, century after century, man after man, long before Luther, mind you, as they came face to face with the scriptures, they began to understand something is wrong here. That what is being presented as Christianity in the Roman Catholic Church at that time is not Christianity at all. And it's amazing how often the book of Romans came into play with the reformers. Time and time again, the book of Romans, chapter after chapter, is what busted the truth wide open for the world. Beginning there in Romans 1.17, as we said earlier, the just shall live by faith. Not to mention chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, which just blows the whole thing out of the water. That we are not justified by works, but we are justified through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That was the nail in the coffin for Luther. It was the nail in the coffin for many of the other reformers. It was the nail in the coffin for the Roman Catholic Church and the false gospel that they preached. Because what the reformers discovered about salvation, as we said earlier, is that this is not about my merits. This is not about the merits of the saints or the merits of Mary. This is not about my works or the works of the priests or the work of the church. This is not about my word or the word of tradition or the word of the church or the word of the pope. The gospel of our salvation is given to us through the perfect merits of Jesus Christ alone. Through the finished work of Jesus Christ alone, according to God's holy word alone. So at the end of the day, all the glory and all the honor and all the worship goes not to a church or a priest or a pope or a saint or even myself. All the worship and the glory and the honor goes to God alone. Scripture alone. Grace alone. Faith alone. Christ alone. To the glory of God alone. Our journey so far in Romans has revealed those very truths. And if you'll allow me just for a minute to review what we've seen since May, we've seen the call of God in the gospel, the wrath and judgment of God that is due towards sin and sinners, the verdict of God on guilty sinners. But then we've seen the righteousness of God that is given freely to sinners through faith in Jesus Christ. The promise of God that is given to all those who believe in Christ. The peace of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The gift of God that comes through Jesus who is our new Adam who brings us into life and salvation and a new creation. The life of God as we die to our sin and we become slaves to righteousness. The freedom of God as we now live to serve him by faith. 
The law of God that serves to reveal our unrighteousness and reveal our sin and our need of the gospel. The spirit of God which raises us to spiritual life in God and one day will raise us to physical glorified life in God forever. We saw the purpose of God even in the middle of suffering and trials to make us into the image of Jesus Christ. All things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. We saw the love of God, this invincible, unstoppable love of God that cannot be separated from us by anything in all creation. We saw the choice of God, who in sovereign election in the ages past chose sinners to belong to Jesus. We saw the rock of God, Jesus, our cornerstone, Jesus, our sanctuary. We see the voice of God calling people, sinners, through the gospel. Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. We saw the remnant of God, those chosen and sustained and preserved by God's grace. We saw the people of God, those foreknown, predestined, who are secure in Jesus Christ. And the whole thing is designed, you notice, every page of Romans so far is designed to point us away from ourselves and to point us to Christ. The whole thing is designed to upset our system of self-righteousness and good works and point us to his goodness and his righteousness and his will so that in the end, All glory, honor, and praise goes to none but God. And so Paul reaches this point in the book of Romans. And I think he would have surprised himself by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that as he went to begin to write this next section, it's almost as if his pen just took off and he erupts in this doxological, awestruck wonder and worship. Look what he says in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. It's as if Paul got to this point and he says, what else is there to say? As he said before, what shall we say to these things? By this point, Paul realizes, maybe you realize, that we're in beyond our depths here. As we peer into the very depths of God, and as sin-tarnished as our eyes are, as empty as our thoughts can tend to be, with what our minds can barely grasp, that we've seen thus far, Paul and we should be left breathless in wonder and worship and adoration. And it overflows for Paul so that he reaches this point and all he can say is, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Again, Paul seeks to turn us outside of ourselves, any church, any saint, any ritual. And he seeks to turn us to God's riches. Look at verse 33. God's riches, God's wisdom, God's knowledge. Here's the real treasure. 
Here's what really ignited the Reformation. It was all about God, pointing us back to Christ alone. And the Reformers, one after one, stood as Luther did and said, What church council, what pope, what bishop dares to share the platform with God? God's judgment, God's ways, His almighty sovereign authority. Luther, when he stood trial at the Diet of Worms in 1521, was charged with heresy and he was commanded to recant his views or else he faced execution, probably by being burned alive. Luther said, council after council has contradicted themselves. Pope after pope has contradicted themselves. And Luther says, unless I'm convinced by sacred scripture, scripture alone, I cannot and I will not recant. God help me. Here I stand. I can do no other. Luther pointed to the inadequacy of that system. He pointed back to the sufficiency of Christ. But I want to tell you this morning, we're not off the hook. Just because we're Protestants and just because we gather in a Baptist church and worship and open the Bible, it doesn't mean that we don't fall into that same trap all the time. Maybe as we turn to a particular part of Romans and something didn't quite rub us the right way, whether it was the election or the grafting of Israel or it's the beginning of the grace through faith and all the, the beauty of the gospel, something didn't quite mesh with us. We have to take a step back and ask, who are we that we should stand in judgment over God. These are God's judgment. These are God's ways. And Paul says, who dares search them out? Who dares, in other words, try to scrutinize what God has said and what God has done? In verse 34, Paul says that, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Paul's quoting from Isaiah 40, verse 13, when the prophet asks who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him counsel. He goes on to quote from Job chapter 36, verses 22 through 23. Behold, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? Who has prescribed for him his way? Or who can say, you have done wrong? Paul, echoing Isaiah, echoing Job, asks... Who can sit in judgment over God? He goes on in verse 35. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Who has given anything to God that he stands to be repaid by God? In Job chapter 35 verse 7, which is where Paul is quoting from, If you are righteous, what do you give to him? Or what does he receive from your hand? And over in Job chapter 41 verse 11, we have this question from the Lord. Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. And yet we would dare enter into counsel with the Almighty. The Roman Catholic Church at that time would dare set themselves on equal authority with the word of this sovereign God. That we would dare to answer back to him, to challenge him, to set ourselves above him. And yet this is what they had done through the popes, through the traditions of the church. 
setting themselves up not just on par with the authority of Scripture, but over the authority of Scripture, literally chaining the Bible to the pulpits of the churches and burning anyone who dared to challenge them. Even, listen, even when that challenge was from Scripture itself. And if we're not careful, we can do the very same thing. When we begin to call God into question over the nature of his wrath, over the doctrine of hell, over the exclusivity of salvation through Jesus Christ alone and no other religion and no other worldview and no other philosophy. And we might be set aside to set ourselves up over God's authority when it comes to his wrath over the sinfulness of men in our sexual sins as we saw in chapter 1. And the rampant sexual sin that fills our culture, people would look at us and say, no, that's not God's voice. That's not God's word. It doesn't matter what the Bible says about sin and sexuality and marriage and gender. doesn't matter. We would dare to set ourselves up above the authority of God. We do the very same thing time and time again. We would do well to hear God's warnings. Again, from the book of Job, At the very end of the book, when God shows up and finally questions Job, just listen to some of these questions. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Or who shut the sea in with its doors? Have you commanded the morning since your days began? Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have you entered the storehouses of the snow and have you seen the storehouses of the hail? Has the rain a father who has begotten the drops of dew? Can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? God says, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth or do you observe the calving of the does? He says, is the wild ox willing to serve you? The wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but are they on pinions and plumages of love? Do you give the horse its might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads its wings toward the south? No, God is pointing Job time and time again away from himself and towards his power. And here he says in chapter 40, verse 2, of Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. The reformers first forced what Luther called in his hymn, Mighty Fortress, they forced that word above all earthly powers to come face to face with this truth. That none gives counsel to the Lord. None stands on equal authority with the Lord. And that this gospel that they had hidden, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, scripture alone, was the true fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even even if it meant stripping the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope of all of their supposed glory. All of it. To return the glory back to God alone. 
And Paul echoes that in verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. Paul reaches this point. He says, look, all of this is from him. Our salvation, our hope, our faith, the grace that saves us, all of it's from him. All of this is through him. Through Christ's finished work, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through his sovereign choice. And all of this is to him, to his praise, to his glory, to his adoration and honor. And yeah, it strips you and me of everything. Of all of our supposed glory, of all of our supposed self-righteousness, of all of our good works and our supposed merits, it strips us of everything. And you might stand there and ask this morning, so pastor, that leaves me with nothing. What is this all about if that leaves me with nothing? If I have nothing to bring into this and nothing to give to this and I contributed nothing to this, that leaves me with nothing. And I would say to the contrary, it gives you everything. Because we find our fullness not in us or from us or through us or to us. But from him and through him and to him. So that in the end, 1 Corinthians 1.29, all the boasting and all the glory goes to God. Ephesians 1.6, that all of this is to the praise of God. Of his glorious grace. Church here. Here in Christ. By grace alone through faith alone. Here is all our hope. And all our assurance. Here is all our glory. And all our salvation. Here is all our boasting. And all of our worship. Not any man, not any priest, not a pastor, not a church, not a pope, not a sacrament, but the perfect, finished, eternal person and work of Jesus. When I cross over to heaven one day, I'll not be looking for a saint. I won't be looking for Mary, any of the popes, any of the apostles. But as the gospel song says, I'll say, I want to see Jesus because he's the one who died for me. And it will be in seeing him 1 John 3, 2, we in seeing him and no other that we will be made like him for we will see him as he is. And it will be to him alone that we'll sing. Revelation 5, 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And maybe even on that day we'll echo with Paul. For from him and through him and to him are all things. 
all worship, all glory, all honor, all dominion, all power, all blessing, every praise, all adoration, universal worship pointed at one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of it, all of it, all of it will be to him. This, at the bottom of it all, is the message of the Reformation. This is the message of the gospel. And this will be the song of eternity, that he alone is worthy of it all. Thank you, our God and Father, for this salvation that is from you and through you and to you. And help us, O oh God, to return every praise and all worship to you alone. God, the only thing that we contribute to this whole process is, as Edwards said, the sin that made it necessary. Forgive us of our efforts of attaining righteousness through our works of depending and relying on our own merits or that of anyone else. And God, through your word and through your gospel today, point us once again to the full sufficiency of Jesus. Oh God, he is enough. His work is enough. His cross is enough. His resurrection is enough. And that he is there right now interceding for us before your throne. That is enough. And so God, point us to that hope outside of ourselves solely through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And help us to honor him not just with our songs today, but with our lives as we declare he alone is worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the blessing forever. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory now and forever, world without end. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.